The text is before us in Genesis chapter 20. When I study a chapter, I always mark verses. I write out questions. I try to find the key verse, I think, in the passage. There's all kinds of things that we do to be true to the text. But I could not help but studying this chapter. I wrote two phrases above it in the margin of my Bible, and they are phrases that I've heard. I think that uh, one of them comes from Dr. Warren Wiersbe. I'm sure it must. And another, I cannot tell you where I got it. But when I read this chapter, these thoughts came to mind. A half-truth is a whole lie. And a faith, faith is living without scheming. And I think those truths, along with many others, stand out in our hearts and to our minds as we study this eclipse in Abraham's life. We know the Spirit of God inspired these words because no other person would have recorded this chapter. Isaac would not have written this about his father, would he? Or his grandsons, or any of the other prophets. This dark chapter, like the one preceding it, let us not forget, was recorded by the Holy Spirit of God. And whatsoever was written aforetime was written for our learning. And so we must always come to a portion of Scripture, especially a perplexing one like this, and say, Oh, Lord, where do I stand? Where am I being misled? What am I leaning on? What am I scheming about? Because if Abraham, the friend of God and the father of the faithful, could fall into that, where do you and I stand? And so let's ask the Spirit of God to lead us and teach us this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. We're very conscious of that. There are portions, Lord, we come to as we have already and will continue as we go through the book of Genesis that make us feel very uncomfortable. We don't have all the answers. We cannot neatly categorize everything or explain the actions of even the choicest of your servants. But as the psalmist said, there is forgiveness with thee. And Lord, we know that the best of us are just men at the very best, that we have feet of clay. We have fears and sins and weights that would beset all of us if your restraining and guiding hand were removed. And so we come to this portion of Scripture in fear and trembling, asking you to help us to take heed lest we fall. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, is known as the Spirit of Truth. He deals only in the truth of God. His sword is the Word of God, also known as the Word of Truth, or the sword of the truth, or the sword of the Lord. And so the events recorded for us here in Genesis 20 are not at all flattering to Abraham, are they? He does not come off well in this narrative that the Holy Spirit of God recorded for us. The friend of God, Abraham, the father of all the faithful, our Lord just a chapter or two before bragging, I know Abraham, I know what he will do, I know how he'll lead his family. I know that he will lead them in paths of righteousness. Abraham, what's wrong? We must also note that 25 years have passed since Abraham and Sarah left Egypt. 
on that fateful trip where they, during a time of famine and testing from the Lord, he allowed, the Lord did, the famine to come in the place of leading. He led Abraham to the place where he wanted him to. Up, get thee up out of thy home from your kindred to a place I will tell thee of. And there the famine came. And Abraham did not pray. He did not ask the Lord to lead and guide me, O thou great Jehovah. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, all the way the Savior leads me. I've got to do something. We're in an emergency here. We're going to die. And so Abraham decided the best recourse, the best path would be to go to Egypt, where Egypt had all kinds of stuff. Money was available, favor, possessions, and there would be help. There would be food there. And that he would go there. The Lord allowed the famine to come. And he was going to show Abraham that he would provide for him and his family in difficult circumstances. As in in so doing, he would increase and perfect their faith. Do you know that the Lord is always doing that in our lives? Perfecting us. His goal is to conform us to the image of his son. And Job said after his testings, many such things are with him. There are tests that the Lord has for me. And just because we've passed this one or gone through that one does not mean there'll be others like it. But when famine comes, when testing comes, when difficult circumstances come to the child of God, and they will, God is perfecting us. He is proving us. He's showing us what we lack. He's showing us how far we've grown or how far we need to grow. He's showing us He can do the miraculous. He can provide a table in the wilderness if we will trust Him and obey Him. We know that this was God's will because if we fast forward the record several years, we see Abraham's son Isaac repeating the the same sin of lying about his wife Rebekah in Genesis chapter 26. And there we read, there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And the Lord appeared unto him, unto Isaac, and said, Go not down into Egypt. It was not my will for your father to go to Egypt, and it's not my will for you to go to Egypt. And God severely warns Isaac, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land that I shall tell thee of. Dwell. Abide. Remember what our Lord says, in his, If you abide in me, and I will abide in you. You'll bear fruit, that dwelling, remaining, living with, in in harmony. And dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land. Here is where I want you to be. Here is where I will test and prove you and provide for you. I will be with thee and bless thee. Now, some might would argue, well, Pastor, God didn't go into that much detail with Abraham. We don't have that record. We can rest assured we do know that Abraham did not talk to the Lord about his trip to Egypt, did he? And God intervenes in a very clear way so that Isaac will not go where his father went. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so the Lord designs these tests for us. In His loving kindness, in His mercy, in His grace... He knows what we need to increase our faith, to perfect us, to help us to grow in grace and in holiness and in the conformity of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Again, there is no record that Abraham prayed and asked the Lord to show him his will about whether or not he should go to Egypt or here to go to Gerar. And there is no record in our text that he sought the will of the Lord in this matter. And so I would just interject here, child of God, shouldn't we learn that we're to pray about everything? Lord, is this what you want from me? Show me, lead me, God. Close these doors. There are so many doors open to me. Close every door and make me go through the right door. We should pray so specifically. Lord, I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to get off base, out from under your, the hand of your blessing. And while this situation may look favorable, Lord, help me to see through to the end and, and trust you to lead me and do what I cannot see. In chapter 19, we see Abraham in the place of prayer. We leave him there standing in that place of intercession and watching the smoke rise from the destroyed cities of the plain, which God had destroyed and told Abraham that he was going to do. And we see there in verse 27 of the last chapter, Abraham got up early in the morning to the place, that secret place, that place where we all should have, that place of intercession where he stood before the Lord. And that phrase of course, points to his ministry of intercession, his time of communion with the Lord that every child of God should have. Abraham went to the place where he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. We leave Abraham in that sacred place and that place is interceder. The, 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 the one seeking the Lord's will. And there we see him. Some have suggested that the horrible ordeal of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain caused him to want to leave that area. But again, we have no record that he was instructed of the Lord to leave that place. But we see so many lessons here, and I hope that I cover them all, or that we will see what the Lord has for us in this portion of Scripture you will see that there is a teaching of what took place. There's an application, but there's always, we see ourselves in the portion of Scripture that we have before us. And your lot, your circumstance is different from mine, but may the Holy Spirit use this portion. This is where the Lord has led us, hasn't He? Right here today, we're right on target, and this is the chapter before us. And so let us pray, even as I'm preaching, Lord, teach me, lead me, guide me, O Thou great Jehovah. One of the lessons I think we see clearly here is that even the faithful, most faithful, mature saint of God can and has the tendency to lean into his own understanding instead of trusting in the Lord with all of his heart. We love those verses, don't we, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, how we've claimed them and we pray them. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and what? Lean not into your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. And what is the promise? He will direct your steps. There's some conditions there, aren't they? Trusting, leaning not, in all of our ways, acknowledging Him. In every Seek ye first, we can say the New Testament parallel, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added to you. Direct, in all thy ways, acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise, Abraham, Chris, <laughs> in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And depart from evil. We see that this holy reverential awe of God, your God, your sovereign, because that's who you are, that causes me to depart from evil and to think twice about any path that I would take. The remains, I want us to know this morning, even in the godliest believer, the tendency to go our own way. 
and to be stubborn and to be like the mule or the horse that we're told not to be like. That's when all of us, our depravity, that unsavedness about us, the old man is resolutely there. And the tendency is always to do what is right in our own eyes. Now, we know that that's what Abraham did because he, he reasoned that what he was saying was not a lie. And the technicality, if you want to split hairs here, he, the Holy Spirit tells us exactly what his reasoning is. I have had people take the Scripture and defend their sin to me. I have had people rest the Scriptures to dissect the Scriptures and say, Pastor, doesn't it say, and they'll fill in the blank with some verse, choice, tidbit that they've taken and, and, and polished and put it there. To, to use as an excuse for sin. But you know as well as I do, that is not the way to use Scripture. Not as a defense. And so that's why I said a half-truth is a whole lie. He was purposefully deceiving the king, King Abimelech. He wanted him to think something other than the, the, the truth. And that's the tendency in all of us. We always try to put ourselves in the best possible light. Have you noticed that? Whether we're, even in our apologizing, even in our asking for forgiveness. But if you had only known, if, you, if you've been offended, we always twist the thing and put ourselves, surely if you were as spiritual as I was, you wouldn't have been offended. I wouldn't have to be here apologizing to you right now. And we come out trying to smell like a rose, but that doesn't smell very good, does it? And there's something about that that just doesn't seem right. Self-justification. We can say what we think to be the truth and leave off all of the truth and we've not told the whole truth. And this is what every one of us have to steer clear of every day. Every day. We must daily die to self and put down the old nature, which is so corrupt. Now, it was easy to see in Abraham's life how horrible this looks. This looks so cowardly. To lie about your wife, to make your wife lie, and and to, to put yourself in this horrible light before this unsaved king. And when you read the whole record... Abimelech rebukes Abraham. What have we done? What have I ever done to you to bring the wrath of God upon us? You almost caused me to transgress and to go across. And this was an unsaved man who had a harem. (laughs) And he's saying he's making Abraham look worse than he is. We must daily die to self. And remember that the unredeemed nature has the tendency to connive and scheme And to put ourselves in the best light, to justify fleshly, selfish means and motives. I wonder if Abraham reasoned that this is just too much. He saw the smoke of the cities ascending. He smelt the stench. He said, this is just too much. I I need, I've got to do, I need a rest. We need to go somewhere, Sarah. Uh, I'm tired of living among these people. I, I need a little enjoyment from life. After all, we've been in the wilderness here for several years now. And, 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 I've, and I've been here at this a while. So let's go where things are a little easier and, and a slower and better situated. Let's ease on over to the south country and let us get a little spread between Kadesh and Shur in the better situation, situated area of Gerar. Again, no indication of praying or seeking the Lord's will. Now, we know that God will direct and God does lead and God does change our direction at times. And that, that, that I'm not in all in intimating that when we make a decision or change that, that God is not in it. But here in Abraham's life, it's clear he's not where he should be. And he didn't pray or seek the Lord's face about going there. You'd like to ask Abraham some questions, wouldn't you? 
Wouldn't you just like to, to knock on Abraham's tent door and say, Abraham, wait a minute, let me just ask you some things here. And so since we can't do that, we can ask ourselves these questions, though, can't we? Have you sought the Lord's will in this matter, Abraham? Isn't that a logical question to ask ourselves and one another? And that's part of our duties as fellow church members to admonish one another and to encourage one another and to seek one another's good. And say, brothers, there's nothing wrong. Do not take offense when someone says, now, brother, have you prayed about that? Or, or sister, have you, have you, are you thinking right? Let's just think about this. Isn't that a wonderful friend who would come, come alongside and say, have you thought about this? Uh, are you looking at this whole situation? Have you asked godly counsel about this move, Abraham? There's no record that he asked anything, anybody. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And so we could ask, there are several other questions we could ask Abraham, but I think we should ask ourselves those questions, don't you? And say, are you following your own advice, preacher? At this time, Gerar was the capital city of the Philistines and was near the Egyptian border. Is that not interesting to you? He didn't go to Egypt, but it was near, it was right on the Egyptian border. Abraham has this tendency to go toward Egypt. And remember, Egypt is the, the sign or the type in the Scripture of the world. And if godly Abraham, friend of God Abraham, the, the, the father of the faithful had a tendency toward worldliness, where do you and I stand? The world is ever with us. And we know it's one of our great enemies, don't we? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the devil we see, and the flesh we know. But the world is so insinuating and it's so uh, sly and we adapt so quickly to it at times and take on the philosophies and the, the opinions and the style. And not just I'm not just talking about in fashion, but the way the world does things can so get ingrained in our thinking that we can get far removed from where we should be. Backsliding doesn't stop with a leap. Backsliding is not jumping off of Empire State Building. It's just sliding back a little bit and moving and moving and moving. Before long, we've fallen off. We're off the right road. Before he went down to Egypt, here he goes near Egypt, to the border of Egypt. Not in Egypt, mind you. Oh, no, I've learned that lesson. I, don't, I wouldn't dare go to Egypt, Brother Lamb. What do you mean? But and it's none of your business if I go near Egypt. I can handle this. Abraham reasons. It was a prosperous city, and no doubt some commentators have reasoned that Abraham saw a business deal there, some situation that a good business situation it may have been. We know from history and archaeology that Gerar controlled a lucrative caravan route, and Abraham by this time was a wealthy and powerful chieftain. This was a Philistine country. There were These were the descendants of Ham. And they did not worship the true God. Now, when you read this story, there are some vestiges of the true God, as there are in pagan places. And Abimelech talks like someone enlightened, but he's a pagan. That make no mistake about it. And, and the, these descendants of Ham were. And I'm sure there was vestiges and traces of right and wrong, as Abimelech sees here. Your unsaved friends can tell you how to live. Have you ever noticed that? I thought you remember over there at so-and-so. They can tell you how you should live your life, even though they wouldn't practice it in a million years. And this is Abimelech. It's obvious that Abraham didn't know much about them, but he soon realized as he settled among them that they were ungodly people. But after all, he's walking by sight and not by faith. He's not exercising 
spiritual discernment here. He's minding the flesh and he's not being led by the Spirit. And so Abraham's actions here in the resulting deception and sin is not a matter of a young, inexperienced believer. Friend, Abraham is not a teenager, is he? And he's not young in the Lord either. Many years have passed since the gospel was preached unto him in Ur of Chaldees. But he's a, this is a lapse of a mature child of God who has no excuse for his actions. And neither do we, do we? There's much more at stake here than a choice of a new location. What have Abraham and Sarah been promised? Remember the whole promise that God has made to them. I will give you a son, a miraculous born son in your old age through which the Messiah would come. That's what's at stake here. And Satan knows it. And Satan moves to action. And of course, the birth of Isaac, the child of promise, through whom ultimately the Savior would come, is what is at stake here. Do you see how simple things become very complicated? What does it matter if I live next to to the Egyptian border or move to Gerard? Brother Lamb, what are you making such a big deal about that? We see here a, a biblical principle found in Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. The fear of man, think of that. So much of what we do is not because of the fear of the Lord, but a fear of man. This fear does not come from the Lord. This isn't a holy reverential awe of the Lord that causes us to walk circumspectly. It is the fleshly, self-centered fear of man. It is caring more about our status and our place among our peers than our standing and our fellowship with the Lord. And it always, always brings a snare, a trap. Satan always studies us and knows us. He knows our bents, our tendencies, our weaknesses, our desires, and he plays to those. He does not want the Savior to be born. You you make no mistake about it. Satan is trying to stop the coming of the Messiah. And we see he intervenes several times among the patriarchs to do just that. And he tempts, so he does, he tempts Abraham to lie. To do what? To get Sarah into the king's harem and possibly to become expectant with Abimelech's son and destroy the plan of God. Now, he does not do it, but he, he tries to do that. What if Abimelech had added Sarah to his harem as he did? And it's very foreign to us. It was very common and legal for kings of that day to have large harems and they add any woman they saw to that harem. And it was, if you can imagine, unmannerly or uncivil for Abraham to have refused allowing him to take Sarah into his harem. He, he should have, in that warped mindset, thought of it as a compliment of all things. Oh, Abraham, how did you get here? Why are you here? How, are you, how can you act like this? How can you put Sarah in such a, a, a position? What if, the, if she had become expectant with Abimelech's son? There would always be the shadow over Isaac and the coming Savior that this was of a, a natural means instead of the miracle that God performed in Abraham's and Sarah's life. Do you see what's at stake here? The kings of this time had the right, as I've mentioned, to take any woman they chose. This was the law of the land. And I will tell you, there are many things that are legal in our day that are not right, aren't they? The the sinful society always legalizes sin so they can feel good about it. 
And, and don't go to the law of the land to excuse your sinful choices. You can find a loophole or law to protect what you do. And so every generation passes laws to make sin legal, pornography, abortion. We could go down the list of things that are legal that you won't be arrested for, but there's sin in the sight of God. And so this harem of, of Abimelech and these customs were legal, but so what? They're still wrong. But Satan knew this, and he used the whole situation as a snare. That's why the Apostle Paul says, we're not ignorant of his devices. He still uses these things to appeal to our flesh and to our pride and to our fears. Fear is one of Satan's most powerful things that he uses. And I would venture to say that many of the decisions we make day by day are not out of a fear of the Lord, but out of just fear. What if? What if I don't do this? What if they say this? What if I lose my job? What if my, and what if? What if all the fears of the unknown, the unseen? Peter warns us in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober. Be vigilant. That's a soldier on duty. Watching. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion who always prays at night, looking for the weak and the defenseless animals, sickly animals, those who are easy prey, Walketh about, stalking about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist in the faith. One of the key things we see in this chapter is the sovereignty of God. Don't we praise him for his sovereignty? God intervenes in his sovereignty. And we see there in verse 6, the last part of, of the verse. The first part says, God said. So God is speaking. Look at the last part of verse 6. I also, he tells Abimelech. I also withheld thee from sinning against me. One of the most powerful statements in the scripture. I stopped you from committing sin with Sarah. The sovereign God of the universe. I will tell you this morning, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand as rivers of water. He turneth it with us whoever he will. Abimelech just thought he was in charge. I'll add this woman to my harem. I'll do what I want to. But he didn't have relations with her. What stopped him? Well, God tells us here, I withheld thee. Aren't you glad for the restraining grace of God? Aren't you glad that sometime when you were been tempted to sin, God has not allowed you, though you had the desire, you didn't have the opportunity. And there were times when you had the opportunity, but you didn't have the desire. The restraining power of God in our lives. Oh, if He removed His hand, where would we be? And Abraham decided to go to Gerar, but God intervened. Why? We could ask that from now till the Lord comes back, that He may show His grace. It's always that God's grace can be gloriously displayed. Now, in verse 18 as well, the Lord had fast closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech and Sarah's as well, wasn't it? Did not allow her to conceive during this time, either with Abraham, and He kept Abimelech from her because of Sarah. Abraham's wife. Do you see what God does for His elect? For His own people who are in places? He causes things to cease and other things to be withheld. The restraining hand of God. It's amazing that we must mention here that at 90, remember Sarah is not 19, folks. She is 90. And she's beautiful and desirable enough for a king to want to add her. Let me just tell you this, in case you were wondering. Kings didn't add 90-year-old women to their harem. I'm just leave it at that. And so, what, would, what do we make of this? It's always been puzzling, hasn't it? I was reading Dr. Henry Morris's 
commentary on Genesis, and he notes that he wouldn't have chosen an old woman as one of his wives, and no, nothing to you older women we're just saying here. I believe that with the promise of the birth of Isaac, the inference here is that a miracle of God had been performed and that Sarah's youth had been restored. So that while she was indeed 90 years old, she looked 19 years old. And her body was young like a 19-year-old's body to be able to conceive and have a child, which she will in due season. Though she was 90, she was as beautiful and youthful as the young 19-year-olds in Abimelech's harem. God can roll back the clock if he desires. And and he enabled Sarah to be youthful and beautiful and capable of of bearing a son. The king did not know how old she was. But God created Adam and Eve with apparent age, did he not? They were not created as babies. They were created in the prime of life. Our Lord, when he was in the prime of life, he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. And John tells us in John, 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. We're saved right now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't understand and fully know what our glorified bodies will be. But we know that when he shall appear, what does it tell us? We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I love to sing the old song that we sing sometimes at camp meeting time. In the land where we'll never grow old. Can you imagine that? We spend so much of our days trying to counteract the aches and the pains and the wrinkles and all the other things that accompany the aging process in these bodies. Now, to these young whippersnappers around here, these youthful teenagers and young people, they may not have that song in their heart, but you and I have that song in our heart, you older people. Oh, for a land where we'll never grow old. Never grow old. In a land where we'll never grow old. The Lord can roll back the clock just as well as he can speed up. to All time is in his hand. All the circumstances of creation are at his beck and call. When he puts laws into motion, he can rescind them, suspend them, roll them back, or change them, whatever he wants to do. A miracle will take place with us one day. We shall all be changed. We know that much, don't we? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Our inner man has already been changed. We're redeemed. We've been made new. And one day the outer man and the inner man will no longer be in conflict. We'll be one. That will be our glorification. And so we shall, our outer man, be changed, glorified. There'll no longer be a conflict between the soul and our bodies, between the spirit and the flesh that is daily. The spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. We know this. And I have surmised here somewhat, I know. Sarah was so beautiful and youthful that Abraham was tempted to lie about their relationship. We know that. Why would he? You don't lie about a 90-year-old woman. That's my sister. The king would say, okay, great. But Sarah was beautiful. She had been beautiful in her youth, and the Lord had restored her youthful beauty. And we know that later, even in her 90s, she was able to bear a son. This we know. C.H. McIntosh writes about Abraham here, the evil, uh, in other words, the sin of lying, had not been fully brought out, not confessed, not got rid of. And the proof of this is that at the moment he again finds himself in circumstances which could act upon his weak point. Weak point. And we all have them. 
They may be different in any of us, but we all have those weaknesses. It is at once made manifest that the weak point is there. We can never know what is in our hearts until the circumstances arise to draw it out. Peter did not imagine that he could deny his Lord, but when he got into the circumstances which were calculated to act upon his peculiar weakness, he showed that his weakness was there. Circumstances then reveal what is truly in our hearts. We are no more spiritual. We are no more sanctified. No further in our growth of grace than when we are shown to be what we are shown to be in a time of trouble. And do you see why the Lord allows them? We would never have a proper estimate of how far in grace we've grown. You'd say, oh, Brother Lamb, I know the Lord. I know Him savingly. I will tell you He has redeemed me and washed me of my sin. And yet there's so much in our unsavedness, so much in that old man of us that, that God has to reveal to us and to, to, to purge out and to burn out. We see why Abraham and Sarah acted as they did in verse 13. We, we read, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, He is my brother. Abraham and Sarah had concocted this way back in Ur. This was no new thing. This arrangement was made before they left the Chaldees. They planned this masquerade ahead of time. Isn't that something? The presumptuousness of of sinning upon God's grace. Again, the scripture says, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. This teaches us. And the reason I think one of the reasons the Holy Spirit has recorded this for us is to show us the corrupt tendencies of our old man, our flesh, our tendencies of the old life. They, these must constantly, daily, hourly be crucified again and again. And here's the lesson I want us to see. You and I know our weaknesses. We know those areas that, that we have little control in and that we take huge measures of God's grace to stay away from on a daily basis. But our strengths are less guarded and less watched after. Now, what was one of Abraham's titles? The father of the faithful. He's not acting very full of faith in this scenario, is he? He's not believing God to trust him. He's not just saying, this is my wife, leave her alone. The Lord Jehovah, God of hosts, protects us. What if he declared that to Abimelech when he came into town? Abimelech said, I'd like your wife. You can't have her. I'm the Lord's and she's the Lord's. And Europe will be under the, the, the disciplining hand of the holy creator God if you make a move toward her. That's what he should have said, shouldn't he? We should be very bold about our position and whose we are. And make no apologies about these. We don't apologize for God's doings and His laws and His, His reasonings in our life. We should boldly stand there. And Abraham should have. But I want you to know that Abraham was strong in faith. He is noted for his faith. We'll see him yonder offering his only son on, on the altar of sacrifice, counting that God could raise him from the dead if He causes him to kill him. That's faith. 
And so he wasn't guarding, he wasn't seeing after all the departments of his life. So often we can't we concentrate on the biggie, the thing that would make we'll blow it at any second, leaving ourselves leave no unguarded place. Satan looks for those chinks in the armor to send the fiery dart. Let's look at another person in the same uh, area. Moses, what kept him from going into the land of promise? He smote the rock, didn't he? Moses was known as the meekest man on earth outside our Lord. So if Abraham's strength was faith and Moses was true humility and meekness, he's not acting very meek when he's beating that rock, is he? You know what he's doing? He's showing out. He's mad at the people. I've pastored these conniving, murmuring people. And ah, and God has said, just speak to the rock, Moses, and the water will come. I'll speak to the rock. That's what he did, didn't he? He beat the rock. And 1 Corinthians tells us that rock was Christ. It was an object lesson of Christ who would be sacrificed once and for all. What a holy and glorious picture that was. And Moses ruined it in pride and in everything but humility when he did that. And so, child of God, guard every part of your heart, all of your mind, your will, your emotions. And while you pray for grace, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me for evil in this besetting sin. These other areas you think you've got conquered, (laughs) you better watch every side and be circumspect. And Lord, put on the whole armor of God, not just the front part, but every part to be protected, the armor of God. We see two motivating factors here, fear and the lack of faith. And they will accompany one another, not trusting God's power and provision to take care of us. Perfect love does what? Cast out fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love. And of what kind of mind, child of God? A sound mind. And a sound mind that can only be based on the truths of God's Word. We live inconsistent lives when we walk by feeling instead of walking by faith. And we often ruin our testimonies as Abraham did before Abimelech. It is horrendous when a Christian sins. But it's horrendous when a Christian blows his testimony before the unsaved. And this is what Abraham did. What did we do? Abimelech sounds like a Baptist preacher. Look in verse 9. What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended that he acts like he's been grounded in the faith, doesn't he? What did I ever do to you, Abraham, to cause you to do this? And that thou hast brought on me in my kingdom a great sin. When the lost can tell us about sin, we're far off base. We're, we're, we're way out of line. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. This man is preaching the truth, isn't he? And he's a pagan and a heathen. And I want you to know that even those outside of Christ know right from wrong because it's been written in their heart. They may not live up to it. They may not practice it. But God's people have no excuse. And when we sin, David, this thing that you've done in secret, what did what does, uh, Nathan tell him? It will be shouted from the housetops. 
Well, that's not fair. You're king, David. You've been highly favored. You're a child of God. You're the man after God's own heart. You can't have it both ways. I always marvel at the, at the rich and famous when somebody asks them for an autograph, they get mad about it, you know, or somebody's taking their picture. You're famous for crying out loud. You've made your living off people asking for your autograph. And God's people are highly favored. We're the Lord's. We have the promises and the resource of the Lord, and we ought to live and act like it. Abimelech having to correct Abraham? Oh, what a sad day this is when a pagan king can tell a prophet, and he is a prophet, is he not? Did you notice in verse uh, 7, this is the first time the word prophet is, is being used, and we know here that, it's not, that prophecy is not primarily prediction. Abraham is not predicting anything but rather speaking the words of God as inspired by him. And the Lord said in Psalm 105, verse 15, Touch not mine anointed. He may not look like a good prophet right now, but God calls him a prophet. He tells Abimelech, he's a prophet, he speaks for me. You're on dangerous ground if you do anything against him. It doesn't stop Abimelech from correcting Abraham. And notice how he does it. He gives him a wagon load of stuff. When the pagan act more gracious than God's people act, here, take and go and take the best pasture. Take anywhere you want. He is so he has more fear of God at this point in him, in him than Abraham does. Here, take the well. And look what he says to Sarah in verse 16. He said unto Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given thy brother... I put quotes around that in my scripture. Your brother, I've given your brother, emphasis on brother, a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was what? Reproved. God will reprove us. You cannot sin and get by with it. And Dr. John Phillips writes, It is no part of God's usual dealings with us to shield us from the embarrassments we bring upon ourselves by our sins. Abraham and Sarah, they were renowned. God had richly favored them. When they came into Gerard, they came in with great pomp and circumstance, I can tell you that. Great, he's 300 men in his army, servants and all the rest. God's people are the Lord's own. We're, we're the children of the King. And they sin grievously. And God did not spare these choice servants from public humiliation and embarrassment and loss of testimony. Do you think that Abraham could share the gospel that he knew with King Abimelech? Let me just tell you, you're lost and you need to get right with God. Oh, Really? Well, when you get your situation straightened out, you can come back and talk to me, Abraham. And your sister over here, when she lied to me and led me astray, you, when y'all get your act together, then come back and knock on my door and give me a track. But until then, go get your house in order, Abraham. Abimelech had enough sin to know that fornication was a great sin. He's a lost pagan and knows that. Unquestionably, the heathen are aware of the criminality of many of the sinful acts which they commit, their conscience also bearing them witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing them or else excusing one another. Abraham and Sarah lied. The Bible leaves us in verse 18, The Lord had 
fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. No one gave birth. There was no one expecting. No one gave birth during this period of time. God let it be clearly known that he was in charge because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. We must deal with our sin. This was the sin, wasn't it? The lie about Sarah. What did the Holy Spirit say? Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And if we are to be right with God and to know the blessing of God, we must go back to that place, to that thing, to that area and deal with it ruthlessly. Saul will not be able to keep Agag as a pet, will he? Or the spoils of war must be absolutely obliterated. May the Lord give us grace to live out His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a sobering portion of Scripture we have before us today. And we cannot cast judgment on Abraham. We have the tendency to put ourselves in the best possible light and to cover our tracks and to put ourselves in a way that to scheme. But Lord, we pray that we would all learn to be people of truth. This is one of the besetting sins that we we constantly must deal with, Lord. May we be truthful people, not just believe the truth, but to, to practice the truth of your word. We need great grace in this area, Lord, because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And Only you can show us these areas by your word. And and we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would do that. And and use the word this morning to to cause us to be circumspect and to, to, to look deeply in our circumstances and to obey you. Oh, Lord, bless us. And may this word, which is like the lancing of a ball, would you pour in the oil of gladness and make it a medicine our souls and a blessing in our church and our private lives and our families. Oh, we long to see you move and and do wondrous things for your honor and your glory in our midst. We pray in Jesus' precious and matchless name. Amen.